The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 287 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host, and I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is elder caring by family caregivers. Now, one of the greatest challenges for elder caring by family caregivers is Alzheimer's disease. This is a brain disease that can't be stopped, reversed, or cured. It's not a normal part of aging, though it's increasingly likely to affect people as they age. In its very early stages, it's difficult to differentiate from a condition called mild cognitive impairment, which is where the memory is Uh, kind of beginning to go a little bit, and that condition is considered a border zone between the expected effects of aging on memory and the serious effects of Alzheimer's disease. Alzheimer's disease slowly destroys memory and thinking. It slowly destroys the ability to recognize even members of the person's own family. It slowly destroys the ability to carry out the simplest of tasks, and it slowly destroys the ability to communicate. So someone well down the road of Alzheimer's disease may not be able to communicate that they have a painful sore in their mouth. Instead, they may become aggressive or even violent, which is why our topic, elder caring for family caregivers, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Jacqueline Marcel. Jacqueline was a television executive, and she says that she... These are her words. She barely survived as a family caregiver for her challenging father and sweet mother, both with Alzheimer's disease, which passed undiagnosed for over a year. The experience led her to write Elder Rage, a book of the month club selection, receiving over 450 five-star Amazon reviews. It's required reading at numerous universities and considered for a film. She's received Advocate of the Year from the National Association of Women Business Owners at their Remarkable Women Awards. She's an international speaker who's presented at hundreds of events, including the California Governor's Conference, National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, National Security Agency, and Florida House of Representatives. She stresses the importance of early diagnosis and treatment of Alzheimer's disease and says they they can still be a good life for everyone in the family if dementia is properly managed and medically, behaviorally, socially, legally, financially, and emotionally. So welcome to the show, Jacqueline. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Great. Now, please tell us more about your life, your career, and in particular, your involvement with the family caregiving. Jacqueline? Well, uh, Dad had taken really good care of Mom. She'd had a heart attack. He'd done it for 11 years, but he would call me every day. They live in San Francisco. I'm in Southern California. And tell me how difficult it was. So I, I'd fly up there. I'd get caregivers in place. I'd, you know, just really figure everything out for him. I'd get home, and I'd get the phone call. We, you know, we cannot work with your father. I don't think you'll find anybody who will till he's on his knees himself. So he was so controlling and dominating, he, he just wouldn't let anybody in the house and uh, just be so mean and nasty and call them names and throw things at them. So nobody would stay. So fast forward, and now Mom nearly dies from his inability to continue to care for her, and I had to step in despite his protests. And three months of nursing her back to health, uh, some sort of health, in the hospital, thinking, well, now for sure he will accept help. He sees he can't do it. And that was the beginning of almost a year of battling him and battling the elder care system that wasn't helping me appropriately. So I went through this whole experience, and once I finally solved it in all those ways you mentioned, I was just infuriated that none of the doctors, nurses, occupational therapists, physical therapists, social workers, adult protective services people. I mean, I had, I'm not shy. <laughs> I'm very aggressive. I'm, I'm fairly bright. I'm in a major metropolitan area of San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm not directed properly for that whole year. And so once I figured it all out, I was just oh, infuriated, and I, I decided I had to write Elder Rage. And then I thought, well, who's going to want to read that? So... <laughs> It's written with so much humor. It's uh, Elder Rage or Take My Father, Please, How to Survive Caring for Aging Parents, if you're old enough to uh, to remember Henny Youngman's line. Uh, So, you know, it just led me on a mission to educate about what I learned the hard way, and uh, that's what I want to do here today is tell people the biggest things that I learned. Right. Now, just before we get to that, let me ask you, what was it exactly that happened with your parents that motivated you to write the book, Elder Rage? What, what, what caused you to do that? Just pure anger and infuriation. It was, um, you know, Dad had been so uh, wonderful to me my whole life. He always had a bad temper. But it was never at me before, and now it was at me, and screaming, yelling, calling me the most horrible names, throwing me out of the house, but intermittently would come, it would go. Now I was used to these rages. I grew up on them, but never being at me and never being this illogical or irrational before. But I didn't get it. I didn't understand what was happening to him. He was addicted and trapped in his own bad behavior of a lifetime, screaming and yelling and pounding and spitting and spewing when he got angry. But now it was coming out of things that were more illogical and irrational and intermittently uh, like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. So I remember the first day I was there, I'd thrown away two little hand towels and uh, bought him two new ones, and he came charging out of the bedroom and took them out of the trash and threw them in my face and screaming at me about throwing away these two little hand towels, and I was just dumbfounded, and I said, I'm so, so sorry. Were these special or something? I bought you two little new ones for a buck and a half, 
And it just, es- I couldn't calm him down. It escalated to him throwing me out of the house. This is the first day I'm there to help him with, with mom. She's in the hospital nearly at death's door. And I called the doctor the next day, you know, took him into the doctor's. He was absolutely adorable, totally normal, completely sane and logical. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so that must have just been stress of, you know, taking care of mom all these years. Now she's in the hospital, you know, it just, just getting older. And I just chalked it up to old age. And that's what everybody does. They just chalk these behaviors up, chalk them up, chalk them up until finally there's a tipping point where, you know, the, uh, a 10-year-old can diagnose it. You know, gram- Grandpa doesn't know me anymore, Mommy. The point is we've got to reach it early. We've got to identify these things early. And so that's what was happening. He had that ingrained behavior, but then we added a dash of dementia on top of it, which made him more illogical and irrational intermittently. And none of the healthcare professionals got that, nor did they explain that to me. Right. Got it. Now... Switch, please highlight for us the work you now do to support family caregivers caring for aging parents who are unsure whether their aging parents may or may not be developing Alzheimer's disease. What what work do you do with and for them, Jacqueline? Um, The biggest thing that I do, I lecture all over the country. I I just got back from speaking in three cities in Florida. Uh, to adult protective services professionals. And uh, here in the States, you know, when someone uh, is being abused in any way, uh, neglect, or it could be financial abuse, it could be physical abuse, it could be all all these different ways, I talk to them about giving them insights into how an individual can be pushed over the edge from dealing with a very, very challenging elder, someone who would never have crossed the line into maybe lashing out at someone uh, when they're being so mean to them and not understanding that this is the beginning of the disease. So I lecture to them. I've lectured to many, many organizations. And the key thing is understanding these 10 early warning signs. And it was a year into it when I was doing it when somebody said, well, why do you call the Alzheimer's Association? I said, oh, what could... What could they possibly tell me that all these other healthcare professionals uh, haven't told me this whole year? I've been here trying to solve. All right, I'll call them. Well, they showed me the 10 warning signs, which you can get right now for free if you just go to my website, go to elderrage.com. Two R's are in there, Elder Rage. Scroll down on the left, and you'll see the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's. These are reprinted by permission of the Alzheimer's Association. Print those out. Put those in a little spiral notebook, and every time you notice your loved one doing one of these, study them, and we'll go over some of them, um, you keep track of it. You write it down, and, and so you are attuned to what could be the difference between uh, normal aging or could this be the earliest signs of some type of dementia. And then, of course, the day you take them to the doctor, they'll be totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor will say, what day is it? What time is it? Who's the governor? Seems fine to us. Send you home again. So you have to be smart enough to know this disease uh, comes comes on very slowly. You have something, as you mentioned, MCI, mild cognitive impairment. You know, that can last five or ten years. I mean, it can last a very long time. Nobody goes to the doctor because, eh, it's not that bad. Eh, she's always had a bad memory. Eh, she's always been difficult. Eh, she's always, whatever. And so it gets chalked up. Then they go to stage one, which is 
two to four years. And no, it gets a little worse. Nobody goes to the doctor for that because it's not that bad yet. Well, it's going to be. Then you got the line of demarcation where they there's been some crisis of some kind. Uh, they've started to wander. They've left the stove on and nearly burned the house down. Or there's been a car accident. Something where the family is like, I can't take it anymore. That's when they finally get uh, diagnosed. And it's pretty easy to diagnose at that point. But now you're into stage two, which is two to ten years. Some people move very quickly, some a long time. But this is where you can never leave them alone. This is where you have a four-year-old in an adult body, and you just don't know what they're capable of doing. It's not having an infant. It's like having a four-year-old that's capable of doing all kinds of things if you're not watching them. So now the family tries to take care of them. Then they got to try to find caregivers, and they got to try to find this, this, and the frustration of dealing it with all these all these years can cause a form of elder abuse. Where instead of just sitting them, you know, you're transferring them down from uh, maybe from one place to the next, and they spit at you and hit you and call you nasty names, and you're not familiar. With this, even if it's your own mother or father, instead of gently putting them down, or even caregivers, it might just plop them down as a momentary retaliation for being hit and spit at. So with education, with understanding the progression of this disease and understanding the warning signs of it early on, uh, the more people that we educate, the more likely we're going to cut down this type of, of abuse that could occur. Right. Now, we going to take the short break because this is where we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Jacqueline Marcel. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What does creme de la creme mean? It's the greatness of living, the willingness to be the best. It's living beyond what you know is possible with no limitation. Access Consciousness presents Creme de la Creme, a program that empowers you to choose and create the life you would like to have and entices you into being who you are, not who others would have you be. It's the best of the best. It's the finer things in life. It's brilliant. It's fun. It's exciting. Join us for Creme de la Creme every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jacqueline Marcel. Our topic is Elder Caregiving by Family Caregivers. Now, Jacqueline, let's talk about more about the challenges created by Alzheimer's disease for elders once they're diagnosed with it. 
in things like getting medical treatment for them and also getting help for the challenges created for the family caregivers. So, first of all, tell us about the greatest challenges created for elders once they're diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Jacqueline? Well, you know, depends on, my opinion is depending on the level of their knowledge of the disease. Let's say you have a wife who's taking care of her husband. He's died of Alzheimer's. She has a lot of knowledge about it. So using the word Alzheimer's when she gets diagnosed is one thing versus somebody who's never had that and maybe is quite elderly and is quite far into the disease. You might just use the word, oh, you know, you might just say, oh, you've got a little memory problem, you know, if they're quite elderly. It might really scare them to hear the word Alzheimer's disease. So I think that's got to be taken into consideration of uh, knowledge level. Now, how you get the right diagnosis is by uh, researching the best neurologists who are specialized in dementia. And I can't emphasize enough, specialized in dementia. I took Dad to a neurologist, you know, eh, sent me home again, didn't seem that bad. They weren't trained to uncover it early. Once I finally got to the team of neurologists who were specialized in this, and also a geriatrician, that's an MD with a specialty in geriatrics, once I got to the right team of doctors and they did the blood, the neurological, the memory test, the PET scan, they ruled out all the reversible dementias, you know, their medications that they were taking could could be causing some uh, dementia-like symptoms, depression, uh, folate deficiency, thyroid deficiency, B12 deficiency. All that has to be ruled out that that's not the cause. Many, many things can cause. So then they have to do very detailed tests in many ways. That's why you can't just take an online test, uh, you know, plug in your information, take an online test, and get a diagnosis. Oh, no, 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 no. You need a professional uh, doctor who that's all they do day in, day out is specialized in uncovering it in the early stage. If you take an online test and it motivates you, if it tells you it's a possibility and that's the motivation you need to go seek out a professional, then that's a good thing. But don't rely on that diagnosis <laughs> from, a, from a website. But getting how to find those professionals. So you call your insurance you you talk to them to find out what mom's insurance covers to to find that doctor, and then when you get to the primary care physician, with your little booklet of the warning signs that I told you to print out from elderrage.com, and you've kept track for months of some of these warning signs that you've noticed, when he says, what day is it, what time is it, who's the governor, and says he's, she's fine, you can talk privately to the doctor, and you have to be there with them unless you have durable power of attorney, because they're not allowed to give you any information over the phone, but you have a better chance if you don't have durable power of attorney, if you're there in the appointment with and not in front of mom but and show the doctor you know I've been keeping track of these warning signs for months and these are the things I've observed I've called mom's insurance and I know that Dr. Smith over here is the neurologist specialized in dementia and I need a referral from you mom's primary care physician in order to see that doctor uh, so that they can do all these many tests that need to be done for a thorough evaluation so we can uncover it early if that's what's happening. Now, that's a, that's a challenge to, to know. How would you know how to do that? You just go to your, you know, most people just go to the primary care physician. Well, they're not trained. It's so amazing. Here I am, no degree in medicine, and I am educating doctors for their CMEs. Isn't that amazing, Dr. Atherley? 
<laughs> yes. I well, mean, in, a, in wow. a way, it isn't, because you are a very astute observer. And I'm going to uh, f- figure this into a question. What you're saying, really, is that the family caregiver, you, who you were, and others like you, are really the navigators. They are really the care providers who are going to steer their family member to the right place. That's right, isn't it? Exactly. You, you know, it just, just makes me so crazy because I'll say, oh, what medications is your mom on? Oh, I don't know. Whatever the doctor's given her, I don't know. They don't. They haven't researched them. They, you know, the doctor didn't mention to say, oh, don't leave this out where, you know, your mom's been diagnosed with, with Alzheimer's. Don't leave this out where she could get a hold of it. This happened to my best friend. Got her mom diagnosed and left the medication on the nightstand, and Florence got up in the middle of the night and took many of them and ended up almost dying. So there's so many things. You have to be an advocate for understanding these medications, understanding what's going on. And now with the Internet, my gosh, there's so much that you can research and be on top of before you get in front of that healthcare professional. There's many that are great. There's many that are not so good. So you've got to know who you're dealing with, and you're the client. You can fire your doctor and get a new one. Right. Now, what that comes down to is a couple of questions, really. Challenges for family caregivers. You've already identified several of them. Do you think enough is being done to assist family caregivers in this navigation role that you've just described? Well, there's more and more because when I when I started taking care of mom and dad, I went to the bookstore and I I bought all the books on elder care. You know, I I must have bought five or six of them, and they all made it sound so easy if you had a very cooperative elder like mom. She was so easy, and I'm I'm looking. I'm going, okay, where is chicken soup for the raging aging soul? I don't see that here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was teaching me how to manage yeah. somebody so difficult because yeah. he could be so darling in front. He was socially adjusted in front of all the healthcare professionals. So, you know, now what's happening is uh, as every, so many caregivers like myself who go through this, we get so mad we write a book about it. I've never written a book. You know, I've read a book. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, yeah. I've got one. And I just stopped doing my radio show. I was doing my coping and caregiving radio show for many years, and I interviewed over 1,500 healthcare professionals on, on caregiving. And boy, every one of them wrote, you know, they all get mad, they write a book. So now there's more and more and more and more and more people trying to spread knowledge and trying to wake up. And as more of us baby boomers, only 78 million of us, heading into our golden years here already, how did that happen? And we're having a heck of a time with our parents, and now we're getting in there. There's just a um, spreading of knowledge. And, and I know for myself, you know, I have so many friends that are quite a bit younger than myself, and they were there for me when I went through the caregiving. They read my book. They've come to hear me speak. But now it's starting to happen with their parents. And they're going, oh, my gosh, Jacqueline, now I get it. I thought I got it. I didn't really get it. Now, what do I do now? <laughs> yes, yes. So it's yes. not till I think it's just human nature, you know. It's not in your sphere until it's in your sphere. And you don't want to deal with it because it's too icky and it's too sad and it's, you know, all these documentaries on, on all this caregiving stuff. It's, I cry through them, and I, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, it's still painful for me to watch. So any... Any person that doesn't have it, they're just going to turn the channel. They're not going to watch this stuff until they're in the heat of it. And they don't get until they're in the heat of it, until they hit that 
stage two, two to ten point when they've been the crisis, and now they are forced to do something. Oh, I, I forgot to mention stage three. After the stage two, two to ten, where you can't leave them alone, then they go to stage three. That's one to three, and that's, you know, incontinence both ways. Body breaks down even on a balanced diet. They won't know themselves in the mirror or you. And it's nursing home time. So those of us who are advocates in this field are... We just want to kick stage three off the map. If we can get people to wake up in MCI in stage one, or even the very, 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 very beginning of stage two, but particularly MCI in stage one, through the proper diagnosis and treatment, um, we may be able to delay what, what these medications do. And I am not an advocate for medications, but I saw it in my parents. And so I just tell people, hey, it's a pill, try it. It's worth a try. But uh, I saw it in both of them. And so the goal is to keep people independent longer. Well, if that's you, that's your mom. Mm-hmm. And you can stay independent an extra six months or maybe even several years where you don't need full-time care. Boy, give me the pill. So there's four of them. We've got four, four pills now, and we just did 100 in clinical trials. We just need one to work better than what we got. You know, they don't slow it down. They, don't ma- they mask the symptoms. That's what they do. Well, I saw it in mom and dad. I masked the symptoms. I kept them more com- cognitively with it longer. And um, I know there's going to be something else down the pike soon. Right. Now, just a very quick question. With the aging population, what's also happening is that seniors are themselves caring for elders, that is, their parents. So here are people who are into retirement, who uh, maybe have health problems of their own, being the family caregivers for people with Alzheimer's disease. Have you come across that? And if so, have you anything to say about particular help for those kinds of family caregivers? It's constant, yes, because the baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, you know, are starting to turn 65, 66, 60, you know, and their parents, and, and they've got kids that have now, you know, moved back home with the, with the economic yes. downturn, and they've got grandkids, yes. and they're trying to manage grandkids, kids, their own lives, their own health issues, and their parents. I hear it all the time. And we're living, you know, we're, our lifespans have gotten longer, but we're not living much healthier. So we spend the last many years, they keep us alive, keep us alive, but we spend so many years in ill health. So it's really incumbent to for self-care, uh, that everybody is responsible for your own health. You know, you only get one body. You know, you better take care of it. Who was it? Mark Twain has said, if I know I was going to live this long, (laughs) (laughs) I'd take a lot better care of myself. And so, you know, when we're young, we just don't think anything's going to happen to us. And so we don't take such good care, and then stuff starts to go wrong. And then, boy, we work, 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 work to make money, and then we spend all that money trying to gain our health back. Right. So it's a balance of understanding the importance of self-care. And, you know, other programs like Dr. Oz and the doctors and uh, all the talk shows now, they have health professionals on, nutritionists on, talking about healthy eating and health, you know, but we're just getting obese. I mean, in the United States here, you know, when I was a kid, it was like 5% of the country was overweight. It's 70% now. Yes. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. We got uh, 317 million. 
70%. I mean, that's over 200 million people. We've got about 100 million with diabetes, about 25 million. I'm just rounding figures for you. 25 million with diabetes, another 75 million with prediabetes. That's 100 million people that aren't, that are eating too much sugar, starch, and grains that's shooting insulin, and they're having a problem with insulin. Well, I don't know if I told you this. Or have you heard this? Alzheimer's is now being termed type 3 diabetes. Yeah. Have yeah. you heard about that? Yes, I have. Isn't I'm that d- something? So now yeah. they've found out that not only does the pancreas secrete insulin, so does the brain. So if you've got all these people, there's a very high correlation between diabetes and Alzheimer's. They always knew there was some correlation. Now the science is going, oh, my gosh, what if Alzheimer's and maybe some many types of dementia, you know, dementia is just a big umbrella term, uh, could be just a metabolic issue where right. shooting out so much insulin from eating all the sugar, starches, and grains because we're all just so addicted to it, and so does the brain. So there's a dysregulation of insulin. Our cells become insulin resistant. Right. And that could be the De- beginning of what dementia is. So that's where the science is going now. Um, it's just Jacqueline, I'm just going to have to stop you now because we've got to go into our break, but this is a fascinating point that you've raised. So we'll take the break now and then we're going to carry on. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Jacqueline Marcel. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM community radio please stay with us we will be back we're making it easier to listen to the voice america talk radio network live wherever you go on iphone blackberry or android download it from the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market what does success mean to you is it being just like the person on the other side of the fence where the grass is supposedly greener We harbor too many feelings of envy and suppressed anger targeted at others, and it's holding us back from our success. Tune in to Wealthy Thoughts with Richard Levy. Just by listening, you'll be empowered to make positive lifestyle changes to live the successful life that you deserve to live. Wealthy Thoughts can be heard every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jacqueline Marcel. Our topic is Elder Caregiving by Family Caregivers. Jacqueline, now let's talk about the ways in which the challenges created by Alzheimer's disease can be responded to. Now, first of all, um, let's talk about the most successful ways of helping with the greatest of the challenges that you've been talking about that Alzheimer's disease creates for elders. 
first of all, quick reminder, what are the most the greatest of these challenges and what's the so far as you you are concerned and you believe the most successful way of helping with them Jacqueline well what I always tell caregivers is get thee to a support group <laughs> because <laughs> nobody is the same they say you know you met one person with Alzheimer's you met one person with Alzheimer's some people can be so easy like mom some people can be so difficult like dad and it can manifest in many different ways so you know, you talk to your friends and their eyes roll back in their head because they're not there yet and they don't know. And people would say, oh, honey, you got to get to a support group. I'm like going, why would I possibly want to listen to other people's problems when I have two right here? And how do you, how can I leave them? I can't even get a person to stay to watch them because dad will hit them and call them nasty names and throw them out of the house. Well, once I finally got mom and dad into adult daycare, which was one of the big keys, once I finally got them to the right doctors, which, which was the first big key in getting the diagnosis and the medications in place, then I was able to, because their brain chemistries were working better, optimize nutrition and optimize fluids. And then I was able to, cons- dad particularly, consent to go to adult daycare. And I was able to go to the support group next door. And boy, it was like being home, you know. Finally, somebody understood what I was going through. And you'd say, oh, I can't get Dad to take a shower. What am I going to do? I hog tie and drag him in there? And some say, oh, we had that same situation with my dad. You know, this is what we did. You know, we we made it like a real steam room in there and, you know, got him a little Velcro thing so he doesn't have to deal with buttons and zippers so he could just, you know, Velcro it around him and just all kinds of, oh, that's a great idea. And so... You brainstorm and solutions, it's not just all, you know, woe is me. There is some of that, so you get a lot of hugs. But it's solutions start to present themselves when people become, you know, necessity, the mother of invention. You know what I mean? you got a problem. How do you solve it? And there's so many things that come up. So I always say get thee to a support group. Uh, that will help. And then ask your family and friends for specifics. They want to help, but they don't know. What, what, what do you want me to do? People say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry what you're going through with your mom and dad. Is there anything I can do to help? And I'd say, oh, could you could you come sit with them, you know, for an hour while I go do a couple errands? Oh, honey, I don't, it's too hard on me to see them that way, you know. Well, okay, well, then could you just shoot me then? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so make a list. Put a list of all the things that you need help with from, I need a new battery for my watch, you know. I need my soles and my shoes, you know, new soles put on. I need the car serviced. I need some weeds pulled in the garden. I need, you know, some buttons sewed on some shirts. I need the lamp fix that Dad threw at me. I need, (laughs) and you make a list. I could have 50 things on there. You could put on sit with Mom and Dad for, you know, X hours, minutes, days, weeks. <laughs> and then at the bottom say, take, you know, put, you know, take me to lunch, you know, make some meals for the freezer. There's a million things that you need to do as a caregiver. And so when somebody says that, you have a, have a copy of this list and you give it to them. And that when they ask for anything, you know, if there's anything I can do, and then they, then they can do some, oh, you know what, I can... I'd be happy to hem those uh, pants that are getting too long because your parents are getting shorter. I can do that for you. You know, they can pick something that they that you need that they feel comfortable with doing for you. Uh, so that's another big thing that I would do. First thing 
is uh, give people options of things that they could do to help me. Right. Now, I'm just going to feed back to you. We agreed in the previous segment that family caregivers are navigators through the system. Uh, Now what we're saying is that family caregivers are solution providers. That is to say, um, you have a problem. You make the list and somebody will step forward and help. You go to a support group. You've, You've told us about this. And people are coming up with their solutions to problems that they've experienced that you're now uh, experiencing. And all of that represents a sort of creativity on the part of people who are doing the caring, are the community of caring. Am, am I being realistic in saying that to you? And is there anything more you would say about that analysis I've just given back to you? Yeah, that's, you know... It- it depends on how hands-on you're going to be as a caregiver. Most people don't get to that point until, of course, they get to the stage two because, you know, because mom and dad are capable of doing everything in stage one and MCI and, you know, you're busy with your own life trying to do this. It's not Most people don't get to that point until they absolutely have to. And then they're thrown in, they're under so much stress trying to hire caregivers, trying to this, trying to that. And... Boy, it's a it's a steep learning curve, and if you don't happen to run into the right healthcare professionals that steer you properly, you can go down some real you know rabbit holes in the wrong direction. So it's it's um, it's the hardest thing I ever did. I it it just nothing compares to it. The biggest thing I tell caregivers is they've got to put themselves first. You have to put your own health first because people would say to me, you know. I remember I went down to Mom and Dad's little bank. The little gal down there knew me really well, and I had some business I had to take care of. And I've been there for months and months. And so I got to her desk, and she was writing. And and um, she finished, and she looked up, and she literally gasped when she saw me. She said, oh, Jacqueline, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea how bad I looked. You know, I looked in the mirror, and I went, who are you? I mean, the stress was just unbelievable, and yeah, I thought. And people say you got, you've got to get help. You, you, you you've got. To, and I'm like, uh, oh, how am I going to take care of me? I can't get anybody. You know, it was like, okay, take care of me. Yeah, how am I supposed to have the time to do that? Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Took care of my parents for that year. Um, hardest thing ever. Finally solved it. You know, the right doctors, the right medications, adult daycare. I finally got some live-in caregivers once I got Dad not to throw them out of the house because I had his brain chemistry balanced, right, medically. Learned some behavioral techniques to get him to do things. Got the caregivers, got into a support group, got wrote the book. Four more years of 24-7 live-in care with two live-in caregivers going back and forth to San Francisco on the phone three, four times a day. Boom, I got breast cancer. No history of cancer of any kind in our family. It's all heart. I was shocked. Well, yeah, that was uh, pretty rough. Double mastectomy, six months of dense dose chemo, six months of radiation, the whole shebang. And it was because I wasn't taking care of me and I wasn't eating right. You're so stressed. You're just grabbing fast food. You're grabbing processed food. You're you're eating too much sugar, starch, and grains. You're, you know, you're just 
you're just not in a, in the frame of mind to try to take care of yourself when you're trying to take care of somebody else. And it's the biggest thing that all of us in this uh, try to impart to caregivers. Don't be a statistic. Right. Now, people not taking care of themselves, that's family caregivers not taking care of themselves, is a common, common, common problem. And I'm going to ask you this. How far does something like guilt and sense of responsibility play into that? That is to say, um, I'm not, I'm the family caregiver. I'm really not doing as much as I could do. And therefore, I'm going to have to work harder to support my family member, to support my mom, to support my pop. Does that play a part? Of course. You know, all these emotions. You know, I loved my parents. They were there for me for every hangnail and paper cut my whole life. You know what I mean? They were so there for me. Even with dad's bad temper, you know, never at me, but always there for me. So I loved my parents. But, you know, there was times when I loved my father and then I hated him. I wanted him to live. I wanted him to die. <laughs> there were times where he he had attacked me, had his hands around my throat. If he would have had a heart attack right in front of me, I would have been glad to see him go. Then you have the guilt for those feelings. Oh, my God, how could I think such a thing? How could I? And then you cry your eyes out, what's wrong with me? I'm a terrible person. How could I think such horrible things? And I'm here to tell you, you're normal. <laughs> You're going to have the, it's, I call it a roller coaster of emotions You'll, from one to the next. And as soon as you get everything wired and put together, there'll be a monkey wrench in it. And you, you got to start over. you got you got to roll with the punches to go somewhere else. And so these emotions of just, and if you're already going through a stressful job, a stressful marriage, you know, children, whatever other life circumstances that you're going through, you have a, you know, a limit to your toxic load. So your bucket, if you want to think of it, okay, you've got some problems with this, 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 then you add all the, you know, uh, toxic food and the air and the water, and then you add the cortisol and the adrenaline from the toxic hormones from all the stress you're under, and boom, it overflows. Your immune system is too worn down to handle it, and you get sick, and very sick, Uh, a lot of people. So it's really understanding that and knowing um, emotions like that are going to, they're normal. Everybody has them when you're put under so much stress. And once you understand the disease, once you, once you understand the science of it, then, you know, I cried, I cried every day for a year. Once I finally understood and was taught, realized and researched and understood the science of this, then when he would call me these horrible, nasty names, it would just be, they would just bounce off of me. Oh, I know I'm a B. I know I'm a D. I know I'm a, oh, you know. Hello, Dad, did I tell you we got a letter from Aunt Rose? Wait till you hear what's happening with her. Instead of, Dad, how can you say that? I've been here. You've never done anything for me. I've been here for 10 months. How can you say such a <laughs> Yes. You know, you, you, your logic and reasonability, you have to throw that out the window and learn to use some other methods. I, I have four different, uh, several methods in my book, but, you know, talking about how you can get somebody to do the things you want them to do when they're in an adult body, and how are you going to get them in the car when they refuse to get in the car to go to the doctor's appointment? What are you going to do? Yeah. So yeah. these are all things you learn. The hard <laughs> way. You, 
then you pay it forward as best you can to your friends and other family members that are starting into this. I'm going to say just very quickly that I, it's my view um, that this stress factor, let's call it that, uh, that is the mixture of guilt, uh, burning yourself out, doing more and more to the point where you neglect your own health, isn't properly understood. Uh, it, it isn't, or at least it's not understood well enough to head it off, to give the kind of advice that you're giving, which is to say, take care of yourself, because if you break down, then the most important source of care that you could be, the most important source of care for your uh, aging parent, for your elder, uh, is going to be lost to them. I think that's a message that's coming through very strongly from you, Jacqueline, and I think uh, I don't have time to ask you the question, but I think it needs to be echoed time and time again um, if we are going to protect family caregivers from the kind of things you've been talking about. Now, at that point, I'm going to have to take the break, so let's do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guest is Jacqueline Marcel. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jacqueline Marcel. Our topic is Elder Caregiving by Family Caregivers. Now, Jacqueline, I want you to talk to us about what more you want to do and see done to address the challenges that we've been talking about. Now, first of all, I'm going to ask you what more you want to do, but I'm asking a person, you, who've already done, who's already done an enormous amount to help this whole situation that's created by Alzheimer's disease, which can't be cured, but it can certainly be helped. But anyway, let me ask you the question. What more do you want to do to help elders living with Alzheimer's disease? Jacqueline? Well, I think that what we have to do, because it's called the silver tsunami now, of the sheer numbers of people getting older and, and Ill, 
in ill health. Not only Alzheimer's, but as I uh, mentioned before about self-care. We've got to get the message out in every way, shape, and form, the importance of understanding that you know, what's at the end of your fork is so much more powerful. That nutrient load, that density of nutrients that you put in your body is so much more uh, important than what's in a prescription bottle. So it's uh, understanding nutrition. It's really the key to this. And uh, I had a lifelong sugar addiction. I just, you know, I just thought I really, 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 really liked ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was addicted. I'd say, oh, I'm addicted, but I was addicted. Now they're finding out that uh, sugar and anything that turns into sugar quickly in the body, the starches and the grains, you know, um, actually hijack the brain, the dopamine center, the serotonin center. It's all, now we know that that's, most of that is um, our chemicals are made in our gut, and we have 100 trillion gut bacteria. Isn't that, who counted 100 trillion? That's a lot of bacteria. 80% good, about 20% bad. That's the right balance. But we eat so badly that we get the bad bacteria growing too much. And they, there's 500, they think, 500 to 1,000 different strains. So you got the, the 500 to 1,000 different families in there. But if you've addicted them, you know, they... They eat and they, you know what, if you've addicted them to the sugars, then they're going to send out powerful messages to force you to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and jog to the donut store, which I have done, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) And once you finally stop feeding them the bad stuff and you start eating uh, the probiotics, the, the, the fermented vegetables, the fermented foods, it takes about a month of abstaining from the bad stuff, and you feel awful. You feel like you should be in Betty Ford going through, you know, alcohol withdrawal, I assume. But it, it, you feel awful. But what's happening is all your little gut bacteria are, are just sending out signals, feed me, feed me. I want that stuff you've addicted me to. Go get it for me. And once you start seeding your good bacteria with better and better bacteria that aren't addicted and you get those die off, you don't have the cravings anymore. It's amazing. I've spent my entire life craving. I have no, I don't have cravings anymore. It's amazing. So I think this is the message that so many of the nu- nutrient people uh, nutritionists are out there, and what's coming is that each person has to do this. So think if we got all these people off of all this, you know, 80% of our processed food is laced with high fructose corn syrup. It's more addictive than anything. They've, they've determined sugar is six times more addictive than heroin. Can you believe that? I believe it. So that's the key now I'm take, is where I see myself going with this is the importance of personal responsibility because we are going, we are going to bankrupt the country with just the sheer numbers of the silver tsunami getting diabetes and then the cancer and then the heart disease and then the Alzheimer's. And everybody's addicted. So it's not that everybody's become gluttons and sloths. You know, it's, it's that they're so addicted by these foods that they can't 
stop. And it's and they try to go through the withdrawal, and they feel so terrible, so then they eat their favorite food, and they feel better again. So they can't get through it. Or they get through, and they, they white-knuckle it on a diet, and then they try to include their favorite foods back in their diet. But it's like taking an alcoholic to the wine country and saying, oh, you can just have a sip of wine at each of the wineries. Boom, you're off and running in a... You're addicted again. So that's that's what it is, but very few people can get to the other side of it. But that's what needs to be done, more and more education on this point. Right. Now, the education you're talking about applies to the aging generation, the, the silver tsunami, as you're right. talking about. But the advice you're giving, Jack, Jacqueline, also applies to family caregivers, doesn't it? Oh, um, absolutely. And to your elder, because... You know, once you get the diagnosis, I mean, if you haven't done anything nutritionally with them at that point, that's when you want, even if you can get, you know, the medications, you want to try those. Yes, there's side effects. But to try to, at that point, if you're new to this nutritional aspect, to turn around and try to feed your loved one as healthily as you possibly can, um, which which will only benefit everybody. So, it's and for kids, you know, there's such an obesity epidemic in children. There's an obesity epidemic in six month olds. Now they're not driving to the to the local store. They're addicted at birth because of what the mothers are eating. So it's education all from the very beginning all the way to the end on how important it is to feed our bodies properly so we can maintain health. Right now, last question unfortunately. But please tell us more about what more you would like to see done by healthcare and social services to help family caregivers when they're coping with Oh, you know, well, that's why I I educate so many healthcare professionals around the country is because uh, I get so many emails every day where they're just people are not being directed probably because the healthcare professionals themselves aren't educated. So I always love when I educate a healthcare professional of how many how many family caregivers that's going to help. So just more and more education. Uh, you know, they get their CEUs, um, but on this topic of, okay, specifics, how do you do this? You know, I can't get dad to stop driving. What am I going to do? How do I, how, you know, I don't want to be the bad guy. You know, so tips on that where, you know, you can, and I go into this in my book, but um, calling the Department of Motor Vehicles and, you know, letting them be the bad guy. Oh, somebody called while you were driving erratically. I don't know. i got to take you in for a routine eye exam. You know, put the club on the steering wheel if they refuse to stop driving. You know, uh, put a, uh, a kill switch in a locked glove compartment. So I give all these um, very specific ideas. You know, mom and dad were stuck in the couch one day. I left to go to the store. I come back. They're still there. They couldn't get out of the couch had a little platform underneath it so it was raised up a bit so that they could get out of it. There's all kinds of ways of, uh, and you learn a lot of these ideas when you go through, get yourself to a support group. So it's, right. it's the right doctors, the right medications, adult daycare, support groups, how to hire caregivers. I went through that. I didn't know how to hire the right people. I finally got the right caregivers in place. You know, fi- learned how to take care of my own health too late, but I finally did. Understanding nutrition and, you know, focusing on, hey, it's personal responsibility. You can't rely on the healthcare system to to do everything for you. You've got 10, 15 minutes at a doctor's appointment. You've got to do your own research and you've got to be your own advocate so that you can be advocates for others. 
Right. So the message basically is family caregivers are the navigators. They are the solution providers. They, they are the eyes and ears. And they are the people who are instrumental in organizing the care and therefore caring for themselves, as you've said, very, very clearly is a fundamental responsibility. So, yeah, you got okay. it, exactly. That's why I wrote Elder Rage. Just, <laughs> I just, how can I, how can I, everything I learned, I've got to get this to other people. And everybody goes, oh, we loved your book. We laughed, we cried on the same page. We lo- oh, when are you going to write another book? I said, never. This was my first and last. I wrote it to affect change. If I'd been able to read my own book if I'd gone to the bookstore and bought that as one of the books of all that I bought. I wouldn't have gone through what I did. That's right. And that's the message. And I'm going to do a commercial for you. And I suggest that your readers, our readers, our listeners, um, take notice of that book and what you're saying because it's crucial. And it also strengthens the point that the solutions are with us and not all with, as you said, government and social systems and with doctors and the rest of it. It's us. Healthy living is going to help. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this wonderful episode, Jacqueline. So thank you very much for sharing with us and being so open with us about your experience about the uh, lessons you've learned, the way in which you're giving your advice, and, and the things you st- you're going to want to go on doing. And all I can say to you on behalf of everyone is all success to you in your work because it matters. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Who Cares For and About Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Spectrum Disorders? Please join us same time, same spot on the Internet. Be with you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.